the first Sunday in Advent. It's very exciting, and as you all probably already know, Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming. And so during uh, the season of Advent, and for centuries, uh, Advent has been a time of anticipation, of waiting, of longing. Um, it an anticipates not only the coming of Christ as a Christ child, but also in really from two different perspectives. Um, the season offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the Messiah, but also to be on alert and long for the second coming of the Messiah. So th in Advent, it's not just remembering that Jesus was born. It's seeking the future of what Christ has to offer for us. Last week, Bill painted us a very, very clear picture of the cultural and the political world into which Jesus was born. As uh, he probably recapped for you, Israel had been a really great nation that had had independent rule for centuries, but also had this history of occupation by the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, uh, by invasion by Alexander the Great in about 333 BC. And Alexander the Great brought with him everything Greek, loved Greek culture, and brought this Hellenistic and this Greek culture, this idea of syncretism that we can all coexist as we see in the bumper stickers now uh, peacefully. And for your everyday Jew, for most of them, there was a pushback to this Hellenization that was going on. Even though Alexander the Great, under Alexander the Great, was a relatively peaceful time, move forward a couple of centuries and under the harsh rule of Antiochus Epiphanes IV in 167 BC, he was killing the Jews. He thought, you know what, this, this group is causing too many problems. Let's just get rid of this religion and make everything be Greek and Hellenistic. And out of this harsh uh, rulership, the Jews revolted and they gained independence for about a four-year period. So they had this big revolt, the Maccabean Revolt, and it is in this memory, this memory of freedom and independence that the Jews cling to and hope for. Maybe even this hope for another revolt because they are once again under the harsh rule of the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana. This, uh, the peace of Rome came under the tip of a spear. And so they were really uh, bristling under that and wanted freedom. They hope for salvation from their enemies, the Romans, and they are praying to God for a Messiah, an anointed one, to deliver them as God had done in the past. And it's into this world that Jesus is born, and it's into this world that three seemingly insignificant lowly women serve not only to announce but also to bring forth the long-awaited Messiah, and those are Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, Mary, and Anna, the prophetess. Uh, and so as we ponder the Christmas story today, as before we sort of get into uh, Elizabeth and Mary's and Anna's stories, um, we need to remember that the nativity story that we're so familiar with, um, the angel coming to Mary, having, uh, looking for a room in the inn, going for the census, the shepherds coming, then the wise men coming. Um, all of that is really um, two stories that are blended together. They're two stories. One is found in the Gospel of Matthew, 
and one is found in the Gospel of Luke. And so often what we do is we blend the stories together, but they're really each very powerful in their own way, and they have different and distinct things to say to us as we approach Advent. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is real interesting, if if you hadn't heard this before, um, the focus is on Joseph's role in protecting the child. No, there's, there's uh, no enunciation. The angel does not come to Mary in Matthew. There's no census mentioned. There's no inn. There's no manger. There's no shepherds <laughs> in Matthew's gospel. What we have in Matthew's gospel is the angel coming to Joseph uh, after he's already discovered that Mary's pregnant and it's not his child and he's considering divorce. Um, and even though they're engaged, their betrothal, it's like a marriage. So he's considering putting her away quietly. And the angel comes to him in a dream. Um, so the angel visits Joseph in a dream and says, don't do that. It, the, the child is of the Holy Spirit. And then the wise men, these very elevated men who are um, astro- astrologers, come. They're really like kings. So they come to visit. Um, The angel visits Joseph again and says, Herod's on the rampage, the baby's in danger, and you need to go to Egypt. So there's two different um, infancy narratives that we have in the Bible. But what Matthew and Luke have in common is that Mary and Joseph are engaged. They had not yet lived together. In the culture, you would be betrothed sometimes from the time you were a little bitty. And as um, the, the girl approached 12 to 14, at some point, the father would send her to live at the house of her to-be husband. So Mary had not yet been sent to Joseph's home. They had not lived together. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem. On that, they all agree. But it's Luke's story that we're going to focus on on the next two weeks, and more specifically on the roles of Elizabeth and Mary and Anna, whom we call for the next two weeks the women of Christmas. Um, they are going to serve as, we're going to see them as God's servants, as prophets, as examples of, to us of what a good disciple is for Jesus Christ. And so we're going to try to see if we can learn from them uh, as we prepare our hearts for Christ's coming not only as the, as the Christ child, but coming in our hearts and being born in us every day. Um, Luke's gospel is also, now when Walt comes back, we're really going to take two different edges here. I'm looking at specifically the women's roles, um, and you're going to learn some things that are going to help. When Walt comes back, he's going to just talk about the birth narrative and Advent and Christmas. He's going to cover both gospels, Luke and Matthew, But we're going to talk, just take a little different spin that's going to help inform what he's going to do when he returns. So in Luke's gospel, the cool thing about Luke's gospel is that it is known for the role that women play. They have a more elevated role than many of the other, um, well, in all the other gospels, um, but also in many of the other books uh, in the New Testament, and especially the Bible as a whole. So that's a good thing. Uh, But really... Luke's gospel is not just talking about women. It's really addressing couples. He finds and creates this balance between male and female roles. So um, what we really have here is not just um, 
Elizabeth's story, but it's Zechariah's and Elizabeth's story. They're married. Mary and Joseph's story, and Simeon and Anna. Now, Simeon and Anna are not married, but they're both prophets, and so they are together at the temple, and we, and we see them paired in this birth narrative in Luke. So this story, the birth narrative in Luke, consists really of two intrinsically entwined and parallel stories. The first is the Annunciation and the birth of John the Baptist. So that starts off the birth narrative. It's not, we're not going to start with Jesus' birth. We're going to start with John the Baptist's birth, and then the Annunciation and the birth of Jesus. So here we go. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments. They're really good people. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years, so they're too old to have kids. And once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, which meant they would throw the dice, basically, to see who was going to go in because they thought that was really allowing God to choose rather than humans to choose who was going to serve uh, in the temple that day. So he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. So this is like one priest goes in by himself to the sanctuary. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. So this big church, everybody's outside praying. And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Does this story sound familiar? You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a big theme in Luke, the Holy Spirit. Luke also wrote the book of Acts where uh, Pentecost, you know, we have the, the great Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes down on the entire church. So the Holy Spirit plays an important role in this narrative. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will go before him. Elijah is another powerful prophet from the Old Testament. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John's role is going to be to prepare people's hearts so that when the Messiah comes, they're ready to receive the Messiah. Zechariah said to the angel, he's got a question here. He says, um, how will I know that this is so? For I'm an old man. And my wife is getting on in years. He was very kind. He didn't say she's an old woman, but he meant it. So he's like, how will I know this is so? And the angel replied, because I'm Gabriel. <laughs> I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. We're going to hear this word again later, too. To bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, it's going to happen. 
you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. So don't be questioning Gabriel. Meanwhile, the people were, were waiting for Zechariah. Remember, they were outside praying. And they wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. Like, what's keeping him so long? And so when he did not come out, uh, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Well, that is quite a story. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, just like the angel said. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. Now, let's see what her response is to the angel. Well, to what has happened to her, not to the angel. She doesn't hear the angel. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably on me, and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. So the narrative opens with the priest Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They're childless. The angel appears to him to tell him that they're going to have a child. And of course, if, a, if an angel showed up at your house, you might be terrified as well. Zechariah is terrified. And the Gabriel says, do not be afraid. We're going to see this theme repeated throughout as it was in the Old Testament. But Zechariah responds in disbelief. So we're going to see this again. And even though he and his wife are infertile and they're beyond childbearing years, God is going to make this thing happen. Now, this is a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament, and we're seeing it again in the New. Barren woman, beyond age, God acts, there's a child. Who comes to mind first? Sarah and Abraham, absolutely. So this echoes of Abraham and Sarah, that comes to mind immediately. But there's a lesser-known story of a man named Elkanah and his wife Hannah. Same thing. The points of comparison are so close. And so as the people are hearing this story, these people of Israel, um, they're thinking, there is this hope. God has acted in the past to do this. God can do it again. God has done it again, and so it breathes hope into Israel. It breathes hope into those who hear it. So here is Hannah's story. Hannah made this vow. She goes and she prays. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, but will give your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine, nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. Who does that sound like? John the Baptist. So, see, their, their stories are very parallel. But this child is not John the Baptist. This child is Samuel. And Samuel was the first, the last of the judges, the first of the prophets. And his job was to, he anointed the first king of Israel, Saul, and he anoints King David. And he acts on God's behalf. And so we find that John the Baptist is going to baptize Jesus, in a way, anointing him. Um, so they're going to have very similar roles. So this first instance of an annunciation, this angel appearing, uh, is really a type scene that we've seen before. You hear the announcement of the birth, the name of the child that's to be given, and then what the future of the child is going to be. And so we're going to see this repeated, and we've seen it in the past. Zachariah's objection or his question 
how will I know this is so? We've also heard before, it's quoted verbatim by Abraham when he hears the news from the angel that they are going to have a child. And so it's meant to show us these parallels between the two. But unlike Abraham and unlike Mary later, who's going to ask a question, his, his objection causes him to be struck mute by Gabriel, although Mary's going to voice something similar later on. Now, Elizabeth's response, of course, contrasts sharply to Zechariah's unbelief, and she credits God, and she welcomes God's intervention in her life because it has restored her to a place of honor in the community. If you were a barren woman and you didn't have a son, you were shamed, you were disgraced, you must have done something wrong, even though the story tells us that she's lived a very righteous life and, and done everything just as God commanded. So she's, this act is going to take this lowly, um, probably ostracized woman, and it's going to lift her back up to a place of honor in the community. And so her response echoes that of Rachel, another barren woman in the Old Testament, when she finds out she's going to have a baby. And she says, God, Rachel says, God has taken away my disgrace. Again, what is happening here is that Elizabeth, uh, and we're going to see later Mary, it resembles the matriarchs of, of Israel's history, and it's meant to tie us that this woman is going to have a big place in the forward history of Israel as well. And she is up there with Sarah and Rachel. So she and Zechariah's son John is going to be a gift from God, not just for them as a family, but for the entire nation of Israel. And then we see Gabriel is going to make another visit, another annunciation. Now, here's the Christmas story we're familiar with. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Imagine that. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. Maybe she's a little terrified too. And the angel said to her, as angels always do when they pop in on you, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This is a good day for you. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And we expect Gabriel to say, Because you've doubted, we're going to strike you mute. But he doesn't. How can this be since I am a virgin? The, the Greek here is literally since I know no man knowing in the biblical sense, since I am a virgin. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Here's that Holy Spirit again. And the, mad, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now, your, Elizabeth, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible 
with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. That is her response. Then the angel departed from her. She responds as the servant. We have the same angel coming to a new couple. Really, I mean, one woman, but it's going to be good news for a new couple. Maybe good news. Um, And the same formula. There's an annunciation. The name of the child and what the future of the child is going to be. Now, there are some differences. Zachariah and Elizabeth are presented of, of persons of advanced status. He's a priest. She's of this noble line. Um... And they have great religious honor. And Mary is introduced without any honors. She's just a young peasant girl. There's no honors for her. God's favor extends to her for no reason other than that it's God's character to demonstrate compassion and bestow blessing, but also because she's going to be used for God's purpose. So this is a great honor for her. He's taking this this lowly peasant girl and lifting her up to a place of honor. So although Elizabeth is childless and disgraced, Um, We really, there's no need here for Mary to have divine intervention to solve some problem in her life. The real need is Israel's need, and so Mary is going to become a vessel for that. It's through Mary and in partnership with her that God intervenes to redeem Israel. And so the child's name is directed by the angel, of course, to be called Jesus, And Walt will go into more detail on this later. But Jesus' name means the Lord saves. And he will be the son of God and will be given the throne of David. That's his future. So Luke's emphasis uh, throughout his books, both Luke and Acts, well, and, and Luke, is on Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and prophecies of the Messiah. And we've already seen some of these prophecies and promises fulfilled. What we're we're going to see so many Old Testament references that are oblique uh, that Mary and Elizabeth and next week we'll see Anna are going to resemble the prophets and they're going to be resemble these revered women that have come through the history of Israel and through Hebrew scriptures. This is um, one of those promises that God makes to King David. God says to King David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be called, and he shall be a son to me. And your throne, David, shall be established forever. And now we can almost hear the angels breaking out into the hallelujah chorus. Forever and ever and ever. So these are Isaiah's prophecies. These are the promises. Look, the young woman, the virgin, is with child and shall bear a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. And now we're seeing, hopefully, that this is going to come to pass. And here's from our song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. A shoot shall come up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse is the father of King David. 
and no one from King David's lineage has sat on the throne of Israel for hundreds of years. And now we see this coming to pass. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. So through Mary, these promises and these prophecies that we see in the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled. And she answers her call uh, as a servant. Here, I, here am I, your servant. But that call, when she says, here I am, is also the way that a prophet in the Old Testament answers a call. We see this, here am I, uh, this, this Mary's response to the angel coming out of the voice of Isaiah when he is called by God to be God's prophet. Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who's going to go tell my people what they need to do? And what does Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. This is also the same response that Samuel has. Remember, we've, we've already been reading about the story of Samuel and Hannah. Samuel is in the temple at night. He's a little boy, and he hears, he hears the voice of God, and he's not even sure who it is. And Eli says, it's God. Go back and talk to him. <laughs> and, and so when he says, next time you hear your name, answer, here I am. And so God says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel says, here I am, Lord. So Mary is answering the call of Gabriel not only as a servant, but as a prophet of God. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then she goes to see Elizabeth. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste immediately. So she finds out she's going to have a baby, and she, she knows Mary's gonna, I mean, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. So she goes to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not surprised because this is Luke. And, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, and so this is sort of like Elizabeth's song. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord, the mother of my Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So Elizabeth's been in seclusion for five months. And the child of whom it was said would be filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth, when Mary walks in, leaps for joy in the presence of of the Messiah who's in his mother's womb as well. So we're going, so why is Elizabeth staying in seclusion? Why was Zechariah muted? It says it's because he didn't believe. But there may, scholars, some scholars think that maybe this is a literarily a, a nice device to show us as well that without Zechariah to talk about what, the, what had happened, that his wife was going to conceive, and the angel said it would happen, uh, and with Elizabeth in seclusion, she's not telling anybody either. The only other, not person, the only other being that knows that she's going to have a baby is who? Mary and who, and who else? Gabriel. Yeah, Gabriel. So no one knows about the baby, and so Gabriel's news to Mary really 
it shows that it really is divine news and it helps it Mary helps reinforce to Elizabeth when she shows up and says I've heard the news that the conception of her son really was the work of God because Mary Elizabeth doesn't know about the angel because Zechariah can't talk um, so and Elizabeth then being filled with the Holy Spirit understands that the baby in Mary's womb is her Lord and so their lives, the lives of their sons, and the fate of Israel are all interconnected. And then, just as Elizabeth broke out in song, everybody in Luke, after there's great news, everybody starts singing. It's like a great musical. Um, so we have the Magnificat, which is so beautiful. Mary says, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant, Surely from now on all generations shall call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. We're going to see this theme throughout Luke. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. So the Magnificat um, is also much like a song. We've, seen, we've really heard this song before. Just like we've heard Hannah's story before, barren, a baby that's going to be important, and a prophet, and anoint kings. Um, Mary sings this Magnificat, but we've heard it before, and we heard it come from Hannah's mouth, something very similar, um, when she goes to dedicate her son Samuel to God. So Mary is tied once again to the prophet Samuel and the Old Testament patriarchs. Here's what Hannah sings when she goes to the temple with her baby Samuel. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. The bows of the mighty are broken. The feeble are girded in strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. And those who were hungry are fat with spoil. Does it sound familiar? He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. So those words are very prophetic. Uh, we understand that the Lord pays attention to human circumstances, and he's going to set them in balance. And this is what's happening and the hope that is given to Israel through Mary's song. So Hannah gives birth to the prophet Samuel, who anoints King David. Mary gives birth to the prophet Jesus, God's anointed, who carries David's kingdom forward forever. It's pretty exciting stuff. And so in Hannah and in Mary's songs, the low are lifted up, the exalted are brought low, and this we're going to see throughout Luke-Acts. So Elizabeth's lowly status is reversed. Mary is lowly, but she's going to be called blessed by all generations. So she's lifted up, this young peasant girl. And we're going to see later uh, next week the shepherds who are, they have the lowliest station in life. They're poor. They're dirty. Nobody cares about them. But they're going to be the first ones to hear the news in the angel's song of the Messiah's birth. So they're going to be lifted up as well. 
we're going to see this reversal of stations. And we're also going to see some kings pulled down from their thrones. And the hungry are filled. We see this in Luke. Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's the Lord's Supper, the walk to Emmaus, where Jesus is known in the breaking of bread. And the rich go away empty. The rich young ruler comes, and Jesus says, you need to give away all your stuff. And he says, I can't do it. So the rich go away sad and empty in things that matter. So Mary and Elizabeth are prophets, and they're also servants. They're prophets and servants in their words, in their belief, and in their songs. And because of this passage, of this passage where we've read about Mary going to see Elizabeth, there's, there's something else that scholars seek. When, when Mary speaks of Mary, and she says, Blessed is the fruit of your womb, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Um, these words in later tradition, later in the church, uh, helps Mary to become elevated in even higher status, and she becomes known as the mother of God, or in Greek that's the, the- theotokos, which literally means God-bearer. Um, there's more to Mary's visit to Elizabeth that links her to this elevated status of Theotokos. Some scholars think this, and this is, I think this is a, little, a nice little pearl. Uh, after learning of her pregnancy, it says that Mary sets out to see Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea, and she remains there for three months. So sets out, hill country, three months, and look at what happens here. When we talk about the Ark of the Covenant, you know, it contained the Ten Commandments. It was in the temple in the Holy of Holies, And it was where God's very presence was said to be housed in the temple. God's presence was in in the Ark of the Covenant. And only the high priest could go into his presence and only one time a year. Um, So Mary's journey and her stay with Elizabeth mirrors the journey of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem with King David the first time that it's installed there. And this is how this looks in 2 Samuel. David set out to bring up from there the ark of God who is enthroned on the cherubim up on the top there. And they carried the ark of God and brought it into um, out of the house which was on the hill. And David said, how does these words sound? David said, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? Does that sound familiar? And David took it to the house of Obed-Edom in the Gittite, and the ark of the the Lord remained there for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So David brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And so Mary's visit to Elizabeth, some scholars say, parallels the ark's halt in the hill country before it was first installed in Jerusalem that by virtue of her pregnancy with Christ, she becomes, for a short time, the dwelling place of the Most High. She sets out on a journey to the hill country of Judah, and she is met with shouts or exclamations of joy, just like the ark was. It, her presence, um, Jesus' presence, instills awe. The ark of the covenant instills awe in David, Jesus in Elizabeth. And it brings blessings to the household they occupy. 
So they say, both say that they are blessed because of this. So Elizabeth and Mary remind us that during this Advent season, that Christ is born through and for the humble, for the lowly, for those who are outcast, for the poor, to bring a kingdom of everlasting peace. And they provide us with these perfect models of servanthood and discipleship. And they help us realize that Advent is the perfect time to ponder Christ's coming, to wait expectantly, to ask, how is it that my Lord should come to me? How is it that my Lord should come to me, not in an ark, not in the temple, but in and for and through me and through me to others, just like Mary did with Jesus Christ? How is it that my Lord comes to me in and for and through me, poor and lowly me? And our answer and our response should be, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Next week, we will continue talking about, we're going to talk about the birth stories and talk about Anna and continue to see what the women of Christmas have to